Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Work and Rest, where we are exploring these life-giving rhythms God has designed for us. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I want to share with you a picture of our family calendar from this last May. There was a point in mid-May where our family had track practices and meets, band auditions, piano practices, end-of-year concerts, doctor appointments, dentist appointments. Can any of you relate to end of school feeling like that? Right? It was busy, something every day, something every night. And our family values eating dinner together. And during the month of May, I honestly think we ate dinner together maybe two nights a week. And I remember looking at Sarah one day during May and saying, I just feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. Can you resonate with that? being busy, being tired. If you're following your notes, I think many of us feel overwhelmed, tired, and even exhausted. But for some of us, that isn't just a reality in May. This is a reality in June to April. And when I ask people how they're doing, I get two common responses. One, I'm busy. It's really busy. And two, I'm tired. We've entered into a way of life that is toxic to our souls. And our pace of life is sucking the life out of us. Our schedules are busy. And it's not just being physically busy. When we vacation, we don't even vacation well. Pastor A.J. Swoboda in Portland, Oregon says this. Studies reveal that 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days of vacation a year. In fact, only 14% take vacations that last longer than two weeks. Americans take the shortest paid vacations of anyone in the world. And 20% of those who do often spend their vacation staying in touch with their jobs through their computers or phones. The point, he asks, even when we do vacation, we do it poorly. And speaking of phones and not resting... According to studies, the average iPhone user, sorry, Androids out there, iPhone users touch their phones 2,617 times a day. Each user is on his or her phone for two and a half hours over 76 sessions a day. Another study on millennials and Gen Z puts the number at twice that. People honestly have no idea how much time they spend on their phones. And that's just phone use. That doesn't count how often we're on the internet or binge-watching shows on Netflix or Amazon or Disney Plus or Hulu or Paramount Plus or Roku or YouTube TV or Sling TV or Apple TV. Like, you get the point. I could go on and on. If you're following in your notes, working without intentional rest has physical, and when I say physical, you can write emotional and mental. It has physical and spiritual consequences. Physical and spiritual consequences. If our whole life is rushed, from task to task, we just find ourselves running on fumes, trying to cram more into our days, we're going to pay a serious price. Physically and spiritually. Physically, going faster without ever slowing down leads to an increase in heart problems, depression, anxiety, and burnout. 
And if you notice when we're busy and we don't slow down, it erodes our capacity to enjoy things. We just lose the joy in things. I've noticed this about myself. Can you relate? I'm not at my best when I'm overwhelmed. I'm not at my best. And I'm guessing you aren't either. And spiritually, when we don't slow down, God kind of just gets pushed to the side. He doesn't fit into our schedule. Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted a survey of over 20,000 Christians. This is followers of Jesus we're talking about in this survey. And what he discovered is that busyness is a major distraction from spiritual life. This is his hypothesis. There's five points to it, and it just cycles. I'm going to read these to you. The first thing that happens, Christians assimilate to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. We just get busier and busier, just like our culture. We don't stand out. We're just like the culture, which leads to two, God becomes more marginalized in our lives, just kind of gets pushed to the side, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. We, get, we gain our wisdom from the world, not the word, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then it just begins again. Busyness affects us physically and spiritually. There's actually a name for the pace at which we live. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's called hurry sickness. Meyer Friedman was a cardiologist. He uh, was a heart doctor and he saw a common thread in all of his at-risk patients. The common thread was they displayed a sense of time urgency. Time urgency. Meyer Friedman described hurry sickness as this. You can see the definition on the screen. A continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Hurry sickness has also been defined this way. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. And finally, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. I was convicted the first time I read those definitions, and I'm convicted every time I read those definitions. If you're wondering whether you struggle with hurry sickness, because we're not the best self-diagnosers, I thought it might be fun this morning to take a little quiz. So students, teachers, I'm sorry, I know it's summer, but I want us to take a quiz to see how we're doing with hurry sickness. So I want to invite you to turn your notes over, and I'm going to read some of these symptoms, and you just put a check mark next to the ones you experience. One author lists these 10 symptoms. I'm sure there's more. The first symptom, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or annoyed very easily. Little normal things irk you. And when you're self-diagnosing, don't think of like your colleague or your neighbor. Look at how you treat your spouse, children, siblings, roommate, those closest to you. Irritability. Two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings. A grumpy email to set you off. A little turn of events to get you into an emotional funk for the rest of the day. Minor things become major emotional events. 
Three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. All you think about is what you have to do or think you need to do. Number four, workaholism, nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop or you can't stop. Accomplishment and accumulation are idols. And by day's end, you have very little left to give to your loved ones. Number five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel another's pain or even your pain. Empathy is difficult. Number six, out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and your calling because you're always getting pulled in to the tyranny of the urgent. You're helping somebody else with their problems and being reactive instead of living proactively. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics, eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy meals, margin. You regularly wake up tired. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what's life-giving for our souls, we turn to distractions, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. One author said this, name your preferred cultural narcotic. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. We talked about this. We don't spend much time with God. Daily time with God just gets pushed to the side. Gathering with others on a weekly basis is something we might do. We don't get together in small groups. It's just not a priority. Which leads to number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. So how did you do? On any given day, I would score between five and nine on that. Some days, 10. We're a tired people. We need to learn how to rest. And today there's good news. There is good news for anyone here who's overwhelmed, tired, anxious, busy, or exhausted. Life doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And that's why we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about rest we're in a series called Work and Rest. And if you're following in your notes, we're exploring the two life-giving rhythms of work and rest that God has designed for us. We spent the last five weeks gaining a new imagination for our work, how we can do our work for the glory of God. And today we begin talking about rest. And to do that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible with you and you don't have a device with you with a Bible app on it, we have black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. You can grab one of those. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 can be found on page 792. 792. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. I've actually had two people in the last few weeks say to me, do you really mean it when you tell us we can take those Bibles home? Yeah, we do. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. You're not stealing. You're not stealing from the church. Take that home with you. And as we begin talking about rest, I want to tell on myself first and say, I'm learning along with you. I'm learning these next four weeks with you. Uh, about two months ago, I took a week off of work. I just stayed at home. I did some projects around the house. And I remember at the end of that week sitting in a counseling appointment. And I said to the counselor, I don't rest well. 
I don't rest well. And how I noticed that is because as I sat out back each morning, all I could think about is what I needed to do or what I could do. Oh, there's a load of laundry that needs done. Oh, I got to mow the yard. Oh, the garden, the weeds are out of control. I got to run to the store and get this. And I've come to believe what I think's happening in those moments. I've come to believe that resting is a spiritual battle. Because when we make the decision to rest, you better believe the enemy will come against us with all sorts of tricks and thoughts to keep us busy. Corey Tenboom, a Dutch concentration camp survivor and author, once said this. You can see this on the screen. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off our connection to God, to other people, and even to our own soul. And what I'm learning, if, if you're following in your notes, unless we slow down, it is impossible to give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. It's impossible. If we want to give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission, which is our vision as a church, then we need to slow down. I love this quote by Pastor J.D. Greer in North Carolina. He says, the most mature people in Jesus are not those working hardest for him, but those resting best in him. Fortunately for us, the good news that I want to offer today is that Jesus offers us an invitation to live life at a different pace. Jesus offers us a rhythm of life that can enable us to deeply connect with God, a lifestyle not dominated by busyness and hurry and exhaustion, but with margin and joy. So what's this invitation? I'm glad you asked. Let's read it together in the first gray box or on the screen. This is Jesus' invitation to us, the words of Jesus. Let's read this together, church, full voice. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, doesn't that sound good? Like we read that and there's almost an exhale that happens. Like our, we, we crave this in our deepest part of our being. We long for this lifestyle that Jesus offers. I'm gonna walk through what Jesus is offering us. In verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak, weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus makes this very personal. Come to me. Come to God. If you're following in your notes, Jesus doesn't call us to do something. He calls us to himself. The call to come to Christ is not a call to try harder and be a better person. 13 times in the gospels, Jesus calls people to follow him. And he's still saying that today, follow me. He calls us to himself and he, he calls the weary and the burdened. He knows those who live life, the human condition is to be weary and burdened. And he calls us to himself and he promises rest. The main point of this passage is rest. He says it two times. Come to me and I will give you rest. And then in verse 29, if you're following in your Bibles or looking in that gray box, he says, I will give you rest for your souls. 
And we need to know what he's talking about when he says rest for our souls, because I think it unlocks the meaning of the entire passage. In the Bible, our soul is our mind, our emotions, and our will, right? We think with our mind, we feel with our emotions, we choose with our will. Another definition I've heard is our souls is our very being. It's our very being. In the Old Testament, the word for soul is nefesh. And I find it interesting in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, when we're told how we were created, the Bible tells us this in Genesis two, seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. If you look at that last word being, the word is actually nefesh. And so it should say the man became a living soul. We are living souls. And our soul is that part of us that will live forever and be reunited with our glorified bodies at the end of time. If you're following your notes, we are living souls and Jesus offers us rest for our souls. He offers us rest for our souls. And the reason I spent just a minute on that and the reason that's important is because Jesus is offering us more than a vacation. He's offering us more than a weekend. He's offering us more than just sitting out back. He is offering us rest that reaches the deepest parts of who we are. The deepest parts of who we are. And I've come to believe that's why weariness of the soul is felt before it's seen. Right? We hear these cultural words like you'll never be enough. You'll never do enough. And in reaction to those, we do more things and we try harder until there's nothing left to give. And I've discovered the last few months that burnout is not just a result of working too many hours. That can be true. It begins with a depleted soul, a soul, a life that is weary and disconnected from God. I want you to see this quote from a pastor in Queens, New York named Rich Velotis. He says this, you can follow on the screen. He says, the way to experiencing this kind of rest is not found in something we do. It's found in something God has done. Jesus Christ underwent the biggest kind of rest imaginable. He rested in a tomb after being crucified. But as he rested, the world was being renewed. As he rested, the world was being restored. And as he rested, the world was about to see resurrection. And here's the promise. When we place our faith in Jesus, we exchange our exhaustion for his rest. The world demands performance. And when we rest in Jesus, we no longer have to strive to be perfect because Jesus gave his life so we could be set free from that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so thankful you're here. Maybe you're just here for the baptisms. A family member was getting baptized. You can experience this rest today for the first time. Maybe you're here and you're tired, you're anxious, you're exhausted. And Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. You could experience that. And if you are a follower of Jesus, for those of us who have followed Jesus for any number of years, he's offered us this invitation and it's up to us to accept or decline it. But he calls us to himself. He wants us. 
And then Jesus continues in verse 29. If you're following either on your notes or in your Bible or on the screen, Jesus continues in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, yoke is kind of a foreign word to us today, but in the first century, the listeners of Jesus would have known immediately what he was talking about. He uses the image of a yoke to describe how he provides rest for our souls. I want to put a picture of a yoke on the screen for you. It's the wooden frame joining two animals, usually oxen, as they pulled heavy loads or plowed fields. And this is so interesting. This is I was fascinated by this this week. Jesus uses an image that makes us immediately think of work to describe rest. My favorite commentary on Matthew is by a guy named Dale Bruner. And I love what he says about this. You can follow on the screen. It says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry that life, a fresh way to bear the responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a life of a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus instead, listen to this, thus instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. I want to put the picture of the yoke back up on the screen. Jesus offers us himself, his yoke to rest. And did you notice that usually in a yoke, one animal is bigger and one animal is smaller? The larger animal shoulders a majority of the load while training the smaller animal And Jesus gives us this picture on purpose. He's saying, walk with me and I'll carry the load. You can rest in me. You can trust me. You can give it to me. If you're following in your notes, Jesus' yoke is an invitation to live life by his side with him carrying the load. It's an invitation to live life with him. Two years ago, our family went to Breckenridge, Colorado on vacation. I'd never been to the mountains before. I'm I'm more of a beach guy, but I went to the mountains. They're amazing. And so we're hiking Hoosier Pass. It's 11,000 foot summit. And we're at about 10,000 feet. And our little guy was five years old at the time. And he says to me, I mean, very dramatically, right? Five years old. I can't walk anymore. We have a thousand feet left, thousand feet elevation left. I can't walk another step, dad, another step. I'm going to (laughs) die. So I put him on my shoulders. I have a picture of this. I put him on my shoulders. We have a thousand feet elevation left. And so he's on my shoulders. I seriously walk about a hundred yards, put him down, double over, catch my breath, put him back on my shoulders and keep going till we get to the top. And we get to the top. It's an amazing vista. You can still see Daniel on my shoulders. And we get to the top and Daniel says this to me. Man, dad, my legs sure are tired. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding me. Do you just know what I did? I was so proud of myself for doing that. And, And what I'm reminded, right? It's a picture 
As I think back two years, it's a picture that we are invited into a life where Jesus carries the load. He carries us. We can't do it on our own. And there would have been a double meaning to this word yoke that Jesus used, and it complements the picture of oxen plowing a field. A yoke was a common idiom in the first century for a rabbi's reading of the Bible and how he taught the Bible. So Jesus was a rabbi. He taught the Bible and how to live the Bible. And at the time of Jesus, there were other rabbis called Pharisees, And they turned God's word into a list of do's and don'ts. They believed the more do's you did and the more don'ts you didn't, the more God would love you, the more accepted you were by him, the more important you were. It's actually uh, been uncovered that it was said in the first century that the Pharisees taught a heavy yoke. They taught a heavy yoke. And I'm just wondering, right? Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience here who has been told by the Pharisees, you've got to do all this stuff to be accepted by God. And they feel like absolute failures because there's no way they can keep all these rules and do everything that's required for God to love them. And Jesus comes along and he turns everything upside down because he's in the turning upside down business. And if you're following in your notes, Jesus offered a different yoke. He offered a different teaching than the religious leaders, a yoke which was easy to bear. Easy to bear. Following Jesus isn't about following a bunch of rules like the religious leaders taught. When we turn following Jesus into a religion instead of a relationship, we just make it a checklist of things we have to do. And we think it keeps God happy with us. And we stop living life with him. If you're following in your notes, Jesus' easy yoke is life together. It's life together with Jesus. Jesus' easy yoke doesn't have anything to do with earning or accomplishing because there's nothing we can do to earn the forgiveness of sin. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. Listen, we don't obey the commands in Scripture because we have to earn anything. We obey God's commands found in his word because we get to obey them because we're in a relationship with the one who created us and saved us. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I wanna pull one more word out of this invitation to rest. It's an important word. Notice in verse 29, if you're following in your Bible or on your notes, Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. You may want to circle the word learn in your Bible or on your notes. And the reason I want to pull this out is because I just want us to know this doesn't come naturally, right? We just don't typically fall into intentionally resting. Just like it's not natural for an oxen to have a yoke put on them and begin plowing a field. They have to learn how to do it. If you're following in your notes, we learn to wear the yoke with Jesus. We learn. I said this earlier, right? I sit down to spend time with God in his word and in prayer and the laundry comes to mind. Something that needs to be done in the yard comes to mind. A notification pops up on my phone. I'm still wrestling with this every day. It takes practice. And the only way to learn how to accept the rest that Jesus offers is to practice it. 
right? We, very few things in life we try for the first time and it just comes easy. We learn to live life with Jesus as we live life with Jesus. If you're a sports guy, I love baseball. You, you don't just step into the batter's box and hit a curveball. You spend a lot of time in the batter's box in practice having somebody throw you a ton of curveballs so you can learn how to hit them. The only way we learn to rest in Jesus is by practicing resting in Jesus. And that's why we're going to be talking about rest for the next three weeks. Because we want to step into this practice because we know we just don't fall into it. So I want to finish by asking two questions. Two questions this morning. The first question is a question that Jesus frequently asked. He asked people this all the time. If you're following your notes, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want to put on the yoke of busyness and hurry that's motivated by accomplishment, provision, recognition, reputation? Or do you want to learn how to wear the yoke of Jesus that includes an invitation to rest? What do you want? You've got to answer that question. And then the second question, if you're following in your notes, what needs to change? What needs to change? Maybe your homework this week is pulling out the family calendar and eliminating some things. Maybe it involves some difficult decisions to get rid of some things that are good so you can experience what is best, right? Do you have time set aside every day to spend time with Jesus, to be in his word, to be in prayer? Do you have time set aside to do things that you enjoy doing, leisure and recreation, have you ever thought about this? Recreation is the same word as recreation. Resting renews our strength. What needs to change for you to practice resting? Over the past couple months, I've made several changes to step into this invitation to rest. Because like I told you, I don't rest well. And after getting up, one of the changes I made after getting up and making a cup of coffee, because I'm not even sure God wants to meet with me before coffee, I begin by breathing deeply. And then I just sit in silence, recognizing that I am with Jesus. I used to sit down and I would open the Bible. I'd just start reading the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with that, nothing at all. But I discovered about myself, I could even turn that into an accomplishment. And so by sitting with Jesus in silence, I'm reminded in those moments, I'm not accomplishing or doing anything. I'm just with him, resting. And then I'll read scripture and I'll turn that into a prayer. And I've started journaling again what stands out to me because that's frequently what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And you know what? As I've done this now for the past few months, I now look forward to it. I like it. I like beginning the day by sitting in silence, just being with Jesus, learning how to wear his yoke. And I'm experiencing more peace and more rest and it's influencing the other parts of my life. Not perfectly, but it's making a difference. The other change that I made to step into practicing rest is I deleted all social media from my phone. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So I don't just pick up my phone and waste time. 
I took email off my phone so the constant ding of email alerts doesn't tempt me to think I'm needed or that I'm more important than I am. And I replaced that wasted time with restful things, being more present to my family, reading books. I love to read. I'm reading more working outside in the yard, undisturbed, praying. I even put Duolingo on my phone so I could learn some Spanish instead of going to Facebook to see what Spanish dinner somebody ate. It takes practice, but Jesus offers us rest. Small changes that can help us rest in Jesus. So let me ask you again, what do you want and what needs to change? We want to practice this today. I want to guide you through just a few minutes. Don't worry, we're not going to do this for 30 minutes or anything. We're just going to take a couple minutes to practice this that we can step into wearing this yoke. So I want to invite you to put your notes away. I'm going to invite you to sit back. Close your eyes. Perhaps even breathe deeply. Take a few deep breaths and be aware that Jesus is in our presence. The Holy Spirit is here among us. When I sit in silence, a phrase that I come back to again and again is, I breathe in your grace and I breathe out your praise. Breathe in your grace and I breathe out your praise. And as we sit in this silence that I'm gonna give you in just a second, we're not earning or accomplishing anything and God loves us. We just sit in his presence. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.